started. All right, welcome everyone to the Ask JP podcast. We're so excited to have you here today with us. Once again, this is another uh, episode in our ongoing CJR criminal justice reform series. Today we have Jason Rogers-Williams, who is a candidate for district attorney, who's currently the president of the New Orleans City Council. Uh, his bio is very lengthy and and rightfully so. I've tried to tried to abbreviate it briefly for purposes of this podcast today. Uh, Jason Rogers-Williams is a graduate of Tulane University and Tulane Law School. After working for two years at law firms post-graduation, he started his own practice. Williams was later appointed to serve as a state court judge at Orleans Parish Criminal District Court by the Louisiana Supreme Court in 2003. He was the youngest person ever to do so. Williams also worked to exonerate and free the wrongly convicted through, the pro through his pro bono work with the Innocence Project. In addition, Williams also served on the Louisiana State Engine Board Director Selection Committee and has also worked as a professor at Tulane Law School. He has made guest appearances as a legal analyst on local media outlets. He served on the board of directors of the Innocence Project of New Orleans, the Mayor's Criminal Justice Council, the Federal Public Defenders Conflict Panel, and the Orleans Parish Public Defenders Conflict Panel. He's also been lead counsel at Jason Rogers Williams and Associates for the past 18 years. He was elected to the New Orleans City Council as a council member at large in March of 2014 and is currently serving as president of the New Orleans City Council. As president of the council, Jason recently passed legislation bringing equity for the first time in funding between the Orleans Parish Public Defender's Office and the District Attorney's Office, as well as instituting a host of other criminal justice reform measures throughout his career on the council. Um, with that, I'd like to ask Mr. Mr. Williams a couple of questions. Uh, I've known Jason for a very long time, and I think this is going to be a really exciting podcast. So first up, this is a one you've answered previously, I'm sure 8,000 times. Why do you want to be district attorney? You know, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to use the backdrop you've chosen today uh, to try to answer that question. <laughs> you got Gotham up there and you got the sign for the dark night, right? And, and, and if, if you, if you're into comic books and I think I'm pretty sure you are, uh, uh, and as, as I, as I am and have been uh, throughout my life, uh, Batman was not always perceived as a good guy, right? And when I started my career, and I would probably say when you were a public defender, uh, when you go to, when you start your career, when you go to dinner parties, people would be like, wait, what? You do what? Why, why are you doing that? Um, and that's pretty much how criminal justice was viewed in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. Um, and it's actually what drew me to the work to want to be a defense attorney. And it's what made me want to work pro bono with the Innocence Project. And, you know, I had an opportunity at a very young age to try um, capital cases before I had the mandatory five years. And, 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 pe and people were acquitted. And, you know, I'd love to say it was due to my legal acumen, but it was more so due to bad police work and poor investigations uh, by the DA's office. They, they basically did not arrest the right person and they ignored evidence, uh, good evidence um, that could have helped them go after the right perpetrator. And so I believe that that largely frames up the way that our criminal legal system has been set up. It's been, and, and, and I believe the DA is the architect of that system. The DA decides entry. Everybody talks about reentry. The DA decides who gets prosecuted, who gets who gets diverted, and what cases get declined. 
I want to redesign that system uh, to make it equitable, to really root out the racial inequities, the gender biases that are that are that are implicit and really baked into the whole system, um, so that uh, our next 300 years can be that of a, a a criminal legal system that deserves the name criminal justice system, right? So. I, I want to get involved because I feel like I'm the dark knight of this campaign. I've never been a prosecutor. I've never been. Uh, uh, I've never been a police officer. I have defended against these abuses, and I think that uniquely suits me to dismantle the things that are unfair and inequitable uh, to redesign them so they work for everyone. Okay. I think you already nailed the second question, which was, "Was your background make you uniquely qualified?" I think you got that one, but let. Let's dig a little deeper. What are your general thoughts on the current state of the criminal justice system at Tulane and Broad? I think it has been um, and still is defined by a win at all cost culture, right? Um, they, 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 every DA that we've had has defined the success of his office based upon how many cases they accept, uh, how many cases they, sex, they successfully prosecute and how much time uh, they can give for those, the, the, for those sentences. Uh, and I think that when it all costs culture really seeks victories for prosecutors rather than seeking justice for victims. Um, every year, every decade, we spend more and more money on the criminal justice system but we're not grading the paper. We're not getting any public safety dividends for that. We were the highest incarcerated at the same time that we were the highest, um, uh, we had the highest number of exonerations and we had more violent crime, more shootings and more murders. So I think right now the system is set up based upon numbers and that is numbers of convictions and the amount of time we can give rather than real metrics for public safety. I think, that's, I think that's a very astute observation. Now, I'm going to get into a couple of very specific issues that are directly impacted by the district attorney. The first question is, what is your opinion of the cash bail system, and what would you do to change it if you disagree with the current system? I absolutely disagree with the current system. Uh, it's a system that would allow a predator like Harvey Weinstein uh, to stay out because he could afford any bail set. Uh, and it would have someone sitting in jail for stealing hedge clippers or a candy bar because they couldn't put a couple hundred dollars together just to make a, a modest bail. So I think what it does is um, it does what the system has done for a very long time. It, it protects and serves uh, the historic majority uh, and wealthy, and it over polices and favors punishment for against the poor rather and against so historically disenfranchised. And I think cash bail is a perfect manifestation of that. Um, it doesn't make us any safer because someone puts money up to secure their return. If I was gonna replace it, I would say that a system that is somewhat similar to the federal system um, would be ideal. However, it would probably mean that there would be individuals in jail uh, in instances in which we frankly, as a community, wouldn't feel they need they would need to be in jail. So I think we would need some sort of modified system similar to uh, the federal system with a, a bright line 
of, of, of certain charges in which someone could not be released uh, if they've hurt someone uh, and everything under that, uh, there'd be some judicial discretion, whether it be ROR or other uh, more restrictive uh, conditions to bond um, geofencing. Uh, we have to use technology. Uh, there's some uh, really good, I don't believe electronic monitors work great for young people, but I think with regards to adults, uh, there's some now that look like Apple watches uh, that could that could dictate where you could go, whether it was work, home, um, school, uh, pick up your kids, things of that nature with other conditions um, as well. That's me. Uh, all right, I'm good. So mandatory minimums. Uh, obviously, this uh, back when I did non-unanimous juries and people asked me, what is the greatest travesty left in Louisiana? I said, mandatory minimums, because obviously, uh, as you've seen the current district attorney, he is a big fan of mandatory minimums. They're pretty much the slam dunk of locking people up as, as, for as long a time as possible. What is your position on mandatory minimums? Do you want to get rid of them? Do you want to modify their usage? Do you think that they serve a purpose? What do you intend to do as a district attorney with mandatory minimums? You know, there's a, there's, there's a certain avenue of, of, of lobbying and legislating the state uh, DA's association to try to change law. Um, I think you and I both would agree that uh, a progressive Orleans Parish DA is not gonna have a whole lot of luck changing the hearts and minds of the DA's association. Um, I, I, I don't think we need those minimums. I think you've got judges um, who can use their discretion and I think they can do it on a case-by-case -case basis. And I think they do more to, um, to lead us into mass incarceration. And, and my policies and goals are to ending mass incarceration. Um, but as DA, I plan on one, having a very robust screening division um, that is looking at the sentencing of certain charges to make sure that we are we are screening appropriately, so that we're not putting people in in, in the trick bags where they are um, where they're where, where they're hogtied, and the judges are hogtied uh, by those memories. Okay, um, the death penalty. Uh, obviously, as district attorney, you will be given that rare privilege, honor, or burden of pursuing the death penalty against individuals should the, should the law require it or allow it. Our current district attorney uh, has been very zealous in his pursuit of the death penalty, so much so, as you know, um, there have been victims' families who are against the death penalty and who have said, we do not want the death penalty for this person that committed this horrendous crime against our family, and he pursued it anyway. So what is your personal position of the death penalty, and what will your position as DA be in regards to the death penalty? I don't believe um, that our criminal legal system um, has, has, has proven that it is uh, accurate enough and, and effective enough uh, to put people to death. Um, when you look at our incarceration rate and our exoneration rate specifically in New Orleans, um, I've been working with the Innocence Project probably since my second or third year um, of, of being a lawyer. And when you meet a man who was on death row for a crime they didn't commit, it changes your life. And you realize that society was prepared to kill him 
uh, for something that he didn't do. So I, I'm not in favor of the death penalty. I won't seek it as a DA. I think I may be the only candidate that has been very, very firm on that. Um, and I personally, I think the death penalty says more about who we are as a society than it does about any one particular case. And, um, and, I, and I think we need to be more aspirational about who we want to be uh, as a community. In regards to police reform, what are some things you think as DA you can do to help move that needle more significantly? In, in particular, what things in the system do you think as DA are broken and what would you do specifically as DA to correct some of those issues with how the police interact with individuals, how they assist in the prosecution and investigation of crimes, and generally how do you view their, your relationship as DA with them going forward? It's interesting. I feel like, I mean, Arthur Hunt is a former police officer. Morris Reed's a former police officer. And Kiva Landrum has been a lifelong prosecutor, except for when she's on the bench. But I think I have more support uh, from the NOPD uh, because of the relationships we have built through uh, an adversarial system. Um, I actually ended up spending more time as a young lawyer with police officers in court cross-examining them than I did with my families or they spent with their families. Uh, just by the nature of what work looks like. Um, and, 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 and having very real accountability measures for police is what good police officers want, right? It, 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 it makes them shine. Uh, and so I'm gonna absolutely stand up to uh, police misconduct uh, in terms of ending racial profiling, ending police brutality. But I really think the thing that most people don't talk about is that this, it starts small scale. And, and a lot of times people think the only things you need to deal with is when a police officer uh, causes great injury or death uh, to a person. But there, there are a number of instances that have occurred uh, prior to that, that ultimate horrible thing. The Tamir Rice case, the, the officer that shot Tamir Rice had been fired and disciplined once and fired from another department before he went uh, to the department where he killed Tamir Rice. And I think it's those low level infractions, those, credi those credibility issues in court that I as DA am going to jump on. I'm gonna keep a list uh, as some uh, progressive uh, prosecutors have. Larry Krasner is one who's doing it very, very well, um, where uh, we will keep a list of officers who have been, um, uh, who have not been credible in court. And so we, we, we will no longer accept their cases and we will report bad behavior and bad reports to the police chief when we spot them out so that he can deal with it with his police officers. There may be some police officers who, who, who can accept this correction and become better, but there are some police officers that are more nefarious and need to be held accountable like any private citizen. And that's what I'm committed to. And there'll be written formal protocols that every screener and ADA will have to follow with regards to those things. Okay. Um, do you consider yourself a reform candidate? Before, if you get into it, let me be more specific. When we talk about reform candidates, pretty much everyone considers themselves a reform candidate. They say, generally speaking, they think they're going to change the system. Like they are, don't agree with the way things are going currently and they want to do something different. Give me kind of your idea of what a reform candidate is and why you fit that mold. So you can really kind of illustrate to people what you, what reform is to you as well as why you support it. Sure. 
So yeah, I would count myself as a reform candidate. It's actually turned into a, a pretty uh, ridiculous label now. Uh, everyone claims it. Um, when I ran in 2008 against Leon Canizero, my platform was New Orleans needs to be smart on crime versus tough on crime. Uh, my policies were all the same. I wasn't calling it a progressive policy. I wasn't calling it a reform policy. At that time, I was calling it a smart on crime policy. Um, and I still think that applies. I think what's happened recently is the public realizes that things have been broken and certain things need to be fixed. Um, and so I would consider myself a reform candidate. However, I don't believe in reform for simply reform's sake. Uh, I think just like on a law school exam, just like in life, we have to issue spot. And if the issue is police misconduct, if the issue is uh, ending mass incarceration um, by, by focusing on violent crime rather than um, drug possession and mental illness, if the issue is rebuilding public trust, every reform measure should be uh, uh, intimately linked with, with, with what public safety measure you are trying to deliver on. And I think what happens all too often um, is that people just start talking about reform for reform's sake without, without prioritizing it and without explaining to the public what the dividends are gonna be for this change. As you know, all too well, people of New Orleans do not like change. And so if you wanna change some things, you need to make sure they understand the why and, and, and the how. I think, that's a, I think that's a very robust answer. I think that oftentimes when you talk about reform, even the public, when you, when you pull the reform issue, everyone's for reform. And then when you pull the sub issue of, do you think that a district attorney should be soft on crime? The same reform people will say, no, I don't want to be soft on crime, but I want reform, but I don't want everyone to not go to jail. So it's like, exactly. I think it's important when you talk about reform as a candidate, rather than just kind of adopt the reform moniker, you have to have an idea of what reform means and be real specific on what you're talking about. Um, this is a more lighthearted question. What's it been like campaigning during COVID? It is the antithesis of campaigning. I mean, I uh, my favorite part about it is meeting people I don't know, um, getting to uh, reconnect with people I do know, kissing every baby I see, hugging, uh, shaking hands. Um, I usually, I'm, I'm, I'm someone who gains weight during a campaign because every time I go to someone's house or event, I don't eat once, I eat twice because food's good in right. New Orleans. And this thing has just been, uh, I mean, you can't do all of that and be socially distanced. You can't even knock on doors responsibly. You can't even visit churches the same way you did. So this has been like the bizarro land of, 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 of campaigning, so social media uh, and, and actually surrogates, people who get the issues, who care enough about the issues, who are having conversations with their groups, that's been more vital than, than anything than it ever has in the past. Okay, um, keeping it clean, why are you more qualified than your opponents for this office? I mean, I, I'll tell you, I, I've known uh, Kiva since law school. Um, and uh, we, we've been tight since law school. She was one of the first people who held my two-year-old son um, when he was an infant. 
I've known Arthur Hunter since uh, I was in law school as well. I remember when he ran. Uh, some of my first cases were in a section and uh, 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 Morris Reed the same. I was friends with his son before he passed, well, friendly with his son before he passed. Um, and they all want to, um, to make a difference um, in this community. And they believe that they've got a certain skill set that uh, uniquely qualifies them for this office. And if this were 2005 or 2008, I might be uh, one of their donors and not in the race. Um, but I believe that this moment in time is, is not a time for baby steps. It's not a time for incremental change. People have been marching and protesting, not just in our city, not just in our country, but all over the world because the American criminal legal system is fundamentally flawed because of its roots in racism. And, and it's tough for people to come out and say some of these things publicly. When, 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 when I was uh, writing the legislation uh, to have the hearings um, to take down Robert E. Lee and Jeff Davis, I got death threats. People were telling me I should go back to Africa and live in my tent, although I don't think anybody has tents in Africa. I mean, it, it, was, it was not, it was not, it was a tough time, but I knew it was the right thing to do. And now seeing um, what's going on uh, a little bit further north with the same militia folks that were standing in front of these monuments with guns and rebel flags are now talking about kidnapping governors. It's sort of crazy. But the truth of the matter is, this is not a time to soft shoe it. This is not a time uh, to, 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 to make some modest changes in the system. This is a time for robust reform and our children will ask us what side we were on. And I wanna be able to say to my three kids uh, and my grandkids, I tried to fight to, to make the system uh, free of implicit racist, racial bias, gender bias, and, and, to, and to change the systems uh, that cause the unfairness, not just you know, what, what Jason decides for six years or 12 years, but change the system so that it works for every DA after me. And I think that's what the other, other folks, I think wanna make some change, but I, I'm really willing uh, to go deeper. Is there anything else you want to add for voters to consider? Yeah, you know, I mean, um, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I also, I, I've got, I've got uh, this campaign and I've also got another battle over on Camp Street. Uh, I, I, I've been indicted uh, a couple of weeks before I was getting ready to qualify for this race. Um, and whether you look back in history or you look at today's time, trying to change a system pisses a lot of people off. There are a lot of law and order folks who believe that I am too progressive, that I wanna to do too much to change the system, um, that are still holding a grudge from monuments. Um, and I think though that's a battle scar for being a true reformer. And I just hope that the people realize that when they go vote, they need to vote for somebody that has a track record of, of taking on tough things and getting it done because this is gonna be a very difficult job, much harder than campaigning for it is the work of transforming this office um, and transforming the culture uh, is gonna be a very tough thing. Well, I appreciate your time today. I can tell you from my brief experiences dealing with the DA's office and my own analysis looking at it, anyone who wins this job has a very difficult battle ahead of them because if you think that the there are institutional problems when it comes to police reform, 
changing a district attorney's office is gargantuan in comparison because in this instance you're talking about police officers have a have a god complex that is minuscule compared to Louisiana district attorneys. I mean, it's like that line from uh, the Alec Baldwin movie where they go, I am God. That is DA's. Malice. 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 That is the district attorneys of Louisiana. They are God. I mean, an officer can charge you with a crime that may take away your freedom. A district attorney actually snatches your freedom for you, from you and throws you away forever. So, I mean, they are... To try and tackle that system is, it's a yeoman's task, and I really applaud you for having the fortitude and tenacity to want to do that, because it is in itself a very special requirement for people that want to jump into that cesspool and try to clean that cesspool. So I applaud you for putting yourself out there for it. Um, do you want to plug your Twitter or Facebook or website or anything? Yeah, we go? absolutely. The, the website is runwithjason.com because we want everybody running with us. And uh, Instagram, runwithjason, uh, and Jason Williams through DA on Facebook as well. And Twitter is runwithjason. Thank you, man. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate you being here today. Look forward to seeing you on the campaign trail, six, 12 feet apart, virtually or not. Thanks for the backdrop. <laughs> thank you.